Hey, speaking of, you know, I asked you guys how many enjoyed your, one, your extra hour sleep. So here's my question. I mean, I enjoyed my extra hour sleep too. But is there anybody that really wants an extra hour in 2020? You know what I mean? Like, like really? I mean, I don't know. So we're in this series about friendship. And last week we talked about how social media affects our friendships. And I came across some other interesting research last week that I didn't share with you just because of uh, time constraints. But uh, listen to this. I am so obsessed with Facebook, I check it in the middle of the night. Person goes on to say, I get up and check Facebook every single night in the middle of the night because I don't want to miss anything. So there you have it. Somebody else says... I have over 700 Facebook friends, but when you talked about putting down your closest friends, I couldn't think of a single person. I have lots of acquaintances, but no true friends. So last week we started this series on friendship. And we kind of kind of laid a biblical foundation last week, and we talked about how couple of the biblical components of friendship are, number one, you have to be present. You have to be present in people's lives. And then the second thing we talked about is transparency or genuineness or being authentic, that people might be impressed with your achievements and they might be impressed with um, your job titles and things like that, but how you connect with people is through being transparent when you're honest with people and you allow you let your guard down, so to speak. And then we kind of talked about our theme that's going to kind of run through this entire series. And that theme is this. And I want you to say it with me. They're going to throw it up here. Everybody say it with me. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. And that's kind of the theme that we're wrapping this whole series around. If I know who your friends are, I can tell you what your future looks like. Andy Stanley says it this way, a pastor down in Atlanta. Your friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. Years ago, Solomon put it this way over in the book of Proverbs. He said it this way. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Basically, he's saying the same thing. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, we talked a little bit about sociology last week. And sociologists tell us that there are different ways of being impoverished. Impoverished. There can be a lack of material things, you're poor. There can be spiritual things that you're poor in. And then there can be relationships that you're poor in. And they say the reason for that is, is because everybody craves. God has designed us to want and to crave relationships. How many of you have ever been to a, to a third world country? Just raise your hand. Maybe you were in the military. Maybe it was a, a mission trip. Just stick your hands up for just a minute so I can kind of see. Okay, so that's, that's about half of you that have been on, a, been on some type of a mission trip. Here's what happens almost to everybody I've ever talked to, myself included, when you go on a mission trip. You go on a mission trip to a third world country, and about the third or fourth day, this is what you're thinking. These people don't have running water. They live in a shack. They don't have electricity. 
But yet they're really happy. And they're very content. And there seems to be a lot of joy there. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't get it. I have way more than these people. Don't they know they don't have anything? And yet these third world Christians are just, they're just so satisfied and they're so content. And then eventually your weekends and you go home and you thought you did more for them than they were going to do for you. But it turns out you're kind of feeling the other way. And you kind of go back to your maybe, you know, nice lifestyle. And, and again, you're thinking to yourself, how is it that they do this? Well, here's the thing. They've learned to depend on God because they don't have other stuff. And then the other part of it is this. They understand the value of relationships and friendships. And they totally get that. And so when you and I get back home, maybe it's not something that we're missing. Maybe it's someone that we're missing. So here's what I want to do this morning. I talked to you last week. It's show me, the, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's kind of wrapped around our entire series. But here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Show me. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your destiny. Or you are one friend away from having your, the course of your life changed. You may be one friend away from changing your destiny. That is so key. And you see that over and over in people's lives. You could be one friend away from having your life changed. You see it in people. You see it in scriptures. We're going to look at two examples this morning. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and then we're going to look at Jonathan and David. So we're going to tackle the Apostle Paul first. We're just going to be kind of short with him, and then we're going to talk about David and Jonathan here in just a second. But over in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 26, it says this. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Notice the word there, tried. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. So you remember the story of Paul, right? Like, Paul hated Christians. I mean, like, he despised them. He persecuted them. He killed Christians. Okay? So he is on the Damascus Road, and his life changes, and so he comes to Jerusalem, and he wants to join the disciples. And you know what they're going? Uh... No, Paul, we don't want you in our small group. We don't want you in our Sunday school class. You're not coming to our life group. Uh, no, thanks, Paul. We've heard about you. No, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Why? Because they don't trust him, right? As far as they're concerned, he's a, a, a killer of Christians. So they don't want anything to do with him. So what happens? Somebody comes along, a friend. And his name is Barnabas. And here's what we read about Barnabas. But Barnabas, his friend, took him and brought him to the apostles. So you know what Barnabas does? He puts his own credibility on the line, and he vouches for Paul. And then we all know what Paul did. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He changed millions of, millions of people's lives. He did all these mission trips. Why? Because one man, by the name of Barnabas, came along, explained to the disciples what had happened in his life, vouched for him, and then the disciples accepted him. One person changed the trajectory of Paul's life. Isn't that amazing? 
one person. And you know, sometimes I think when we're thinking about friendships, we tend to think about friends in the sense of people that are like my age. Like if you're 16 or 17, you tend to, well, I'm going to get friends that are 16 or 17. If you're in your early 30s, you tend to want people maybe that are in their early 30s. And if you're maybe in your mid-50s, you want people that are like in their mid-50s. And you trying to tend to try to build friendships just around people your age. There's nothing wrong with that. But we shouldn't overlook the fact of what you can do when you have intergenerational friends, when you have friends that are not your age. You know, sometimes it just kind of tickles me. Like, I'll be talking with our college students, and I'll say, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing a, a, a next-gen class or, 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 or group or something, and I, maybe I'll be talking to the juniors and seniors, you know, like 21, 22 years old, and, I, and you know, I'm like, well, how can we reach the, the, the freshmen and the sophomores? And they're like, oh, no, we're not hanging out with them. Like, what? Like, there's two years difference. Oh, no, 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 they're so immature. We've got it all figured out. There, there's so much wisdom in intergenerational friendships. You know, we have a men's group here at the church. We call it men's fraternity. And the thing, one of the things that I really love about that group is the age. There's guys in that group that are 80 years old and older. And then there are guys in that group that are 18 years old. And the guys that are, you know, later on in their years, man, they have so much wisdom. They tell their stories. They share wisdom with us. But you know what the 18-year-olds bring? They bring this incredible enthusiasm. They remind all of us what it was like to be 18 years old and to, to be grabbing the world by the tail and have all this energy and all this gumption to change the world. Because sometimes when, you're, when you get older, you get jaded and you don't think that way anymore. And these guys remind us about those kinds of things. So you have everybody of all ages learning from everybody else. So don't limit yourself to just friendships around your particular age group. I had an older friend that exemplifies exactly what I'm talking about this morning. His name was Gunther Pinner. And uh, Gunther was the founder of a retreat center up in North Carolina that was about an hour away from the camp where I used to be at. The place was called Quiet Reflections. And it was just this place. It wasn't a camp in a sense. It was just a retreat center and it had cabins and stuff like that. But you just went by yourself. And there was no charge. You could stay there as long as you wanted. Had this beautiful chapel and this beautiful setting. But it was just a place where you would go and, and just by yourself, stay however you, long you wanted. And, and, and just kind of a, a, a place to get your, your spiritual self in order, so to speak. Talk with God, whatever you want to call it. And Gunther had been this former very successful businessman sold his x-ray machine company down in Fort Lauderdale, took all that money and invested it in this property. He had incredible faith. The man just walked with God. You know how you can just tell about people like that sometimes? Just walked with God, had wonderful insights, very thoughtful. So I used to go talk to him every once in a while. And so one day I'm up there talking to him. And God had already kind of been talking to me about maybe it was time to move on from the camping ministry. But I hadn't said anything to him about that. And all at once he says, just out of the clear blue almost, he said, have you ever thought that you might be underachieving there at that camp? Whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> and then he kind of elaborated a little bit. He said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I thought about youth pastor and stuff like that, but never really pastor. He said, I've heard you teach a few times. He said, you have teaching gifts that are, this is his, what he said, that are underutilized at that camp. 
that changed the trajectory of my life. That was 25, 30 years ago, and is still changing the destiny of my life. Because I had an older friend, somebody who spoke into me. One person can change your life. So I ask you, are you hanging out with people that are going to change your life? Are you hanging out with a bunch of people that have bad marriages? Because if you are, you're probably going to have a bad marriage too. Are you hanging out with people that eat donuts as a hobby? Because if you are, it's probably going to affect you too, and you're not going to be like a very fit kind of person. You want to be better in finances? You want to be a better leader? Hang out with people who do those types of things. And at the same time, while you want that in your life, you need to be somebody that's putting into other people's life. You could be that gunner pinner that's going to make a change somebody else's destiny. You could be that Barnabas. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We all need someone that makes us better, and we all need to be making someone else better. So we talked about Paul, and I also want to look at Jonathan and David. And I want you to notice a few things about their friendship. The first is this. A true friend doesn't focus on himself. Now, let me kind of give you the background as we kind of pick up in, 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 in uh, 1 Samuel here with David and Jonathan. David, never gone to boot camp, never wore the Israeli uniform, didn't know how to put on armor, never took any fencing lessons to use, learn how to use a sword. But one day he does this most remarkable thing as a teenager. There's this 10-foot giant by the name of Goliath. Most of you are probably familiar with the story. Ten foot tall, just to give you a visual, the top or the, 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 a basketball rim is ten feet. So this dude's head is like scraping the bottom of that rim. That's how big this guy is. He's a giant of a man. This teenage boy goes out there, no armor, nothing, just a sling and a stone. He winds that thing up. He flings that stone, hits him right here. Boom. Goliath lands in the dust. David picks up his sword. Cuts the guy's head off. He instantly becomes a national hero, right? I mean, there are parades for him. Everybody knows about David and what David has done. He saved the nation of Israel. If they gave out medals, he would have got a silver star for valor. I mean, things are happening for David. And then we read about his friendship. So I kind of gave you the background. We pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, the Saul of Jonathan was knit to David and loved him as himself. So who is Jonathan? Well, Jonathan is the king's son, King Saul's son. So he is the heir to the throne. He's the crown prince, so to speak. He's also a courageous warrior himself. We read in earlier chapters in 1 Samuel how he went to Michmash and actually led the Israeli army to defeat the Philistines. And then thirdly, most likely, Jonathan saw David kill Goliath. You know, most friendships are started with a common bond, right? Like maybe you've both played tennis, and so that's how your friendship kind of started. Maybe your friend is somebody that cooks a lot, and you've swapped recipes, and that's how things started. Maybe your friends are people that you've met in the ball field watching your kids practice or whatever, and you started talking, and you have that commonality of your children's ages. 
Hopefully, you've met some friends at church that you have some things in common with. But that's how most friendships start, right? So here's what the common bond was between these two guys. They were both warriors. They were both patriots. They both had that warrior spirit. And that kind of seems to bring these two guys together. Jonathan saw a warrior just like himself. This word knit here, if we could, yeah, there it is. The word knit, that means to, to knot together. And you know how you can take a rope and it's just made up of a bunch of strands, like let's say nylon. You take one of those strands of nylon, you can just break it so just easily. But you put them all together and it gives that rope strength. That's kind of what this word means. So these guys are, 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 are knotted together. They're tight. They, they give each other strength. They can be something bigger than they would be by themselves. And then scripture adds an interesting fact in verse 3 when it says this. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. You know what's interesting? This is never in reverse. It never says that David loved Jonathan as himself. Isn't that fascinating? So it sounds like Jonathan put more into this relationship than David. Yeah, they're tight. Don't get me wrong. But here's the, here's the point. In almost every relationship on this earth, somebody's going to put more into the relationship than somebody else. Now, it may be almost equal, but usually one person is putting a little more into it. Now, you might think, well, that doesn't sound fair. You know why we think that? This is why. We tend to value our friendships on the basis of whether or not they meet our needs and not on the basis of whether or not we're meeting the needs of somebody else. Isn't that true? Isn't that how you kind of judge your friendships? You kind of base them on yourself and if it's meeting your needs or not. That wasn't the case here. Jonathan was all in, doing everything he could, not focusing on himself. Notice verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So again, he's not focused on himself. I'm going to take this thing off. It's bugging me. hope you don't mind. All right. Sorry about that. All right. So anyway, so he, so he gives all this stuff. Now, what's the significance of this thing? Well, the tunic. He's the crown prince. That robe was significant. It told everybody, hey, this guy is going to be the next king. So he's given them something significant. See, true friends, they don't focus on themselves. They don't focus on their possessions. They will give you what you need. They are, they are all in on the friendship they don't keep scores. We're told later in, in, in chapter 20 that Jonathan went up to David and basically said, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. Whatever you need, I'll be there for you. You know, sometimes our friendships are like competitions and we're just keeping score all the time. That wasn't Jonathan. There was no scorecard. So he doesn't focus on himself. The second thing is a true friend is loyal. Loyalty is an absolute essential to friendship. 
Jonathan is not a fair-weather friend. You know, as you move into chapter 18, Saul kind of explodes with jealousy. Why is he jealous? Because everybody is singing David's praises and not so much Jonathan's. I mean, the ladies, they're like, man, that David, I hadn't noticed him before. He looks pretty cute, right? I mean, you remember the little ditty they sang? The women were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. Saul's not too, too keen on this. He doesn't like it. He's also having some mental issues, so he decides he needs to kill David. And we're told in Scripture that six different times he tries to kill David. Now put yourself in Jonathan's spot. Think about this. Your dad's the king. You're going to be the king one day. And your best friend is David, who your dad's trying to kill, who God has told he's going to be the king. The rock in the hard place, is that where he's at? I mean, I'm telling you. This, this is tough stuff. So this is what we read, chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. And then it goes on. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warmed him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. And I'll speak to him about you. And I will tell you what I find out. So Jonathan still thinks things can be fixed. And so he keeps talking to his father. And he reminds his father. And we don't have enough time to read all the verses. But he reminds his dad of, hey, you got to remember, David killed Goliath. David saved the nation of Israel. Dad, you need to back off. And remember, God has anointed him. And then think about this. If you were Jonathan and you knew that you were supposed to be the king and now your best friend's going to be the king, would it be easy to let go of that? I'm thinking I wouldn't do very good. Wait, I was supposed to be king and now my best friend's going to be the king? That would be hard. That would be really hard. But it doesn't seem to be hard for Jonathan. There's no pretenses to it. He doesn't focus on himself. He's loyal. Even this guy that's basically a shepherd boy at this point. Third thing. True friends let you be yourself. True friends let you be yourself. If you've got somebody that's always trying to change you, then you need some new friends. True friends accept you for who you are. At this point, David is convinced that Saul is never going to change his mind. And David, at this particular time, I mean, he's like public enemy number one. Like, if you went to the post office in Palestine during this time, Israel, you know who's number one most wanted on the list? David. I mean, that's where he's at now. I mean, they are all in for killing him. And so he and Jonathan are trying to come up with some kind of plan. And again, Jonathan still thinks he can talk his father down. And so they come up with this plan. And let's look at that plan in verse 19. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. And then it goes on. If your father misses me at all, tell him. 
David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he has determined to harm me. So here's their plan. There's this thing, New Moon Festival. So what is a New Moon Festival, you might be wondering? So the New Moon Festival is something that occurred in that particular day and time. They were on the lunar calendar. And so this New Moon would come up once a month. And there would be a festival or a, actually what it was, it was a rededication. So once a month, the people of Israel on the new moon would have this dedication time where they would rededicate themselves to God. Now they had other festivals and stuff that were more, you know, yearly and things like that. So this is not, you know, a great big thing, but it is significant. It's something that happens once a month. So what they decide to do is, David says, well, I'm going to skip that. You tell, my you tell your dad that I've gone to see my clan and I'm celebrating it with my family. So they have this plan worked out. And then the end of the plan is, okay, if your dad gets upset or, or whether or not, this is how you'll deliver the message to me. I'm going to go out in a field the next morning after you've met with your dad. And Jonathan says, I'm going to shoot arrows. And when I shoot the arrows... If I tell my servant, look further, David, that means I couldn't change my dad's mind. and He's still going to kill you. You need to get out of town. If I say they're closer when I'm telling my servant to retrieve my arrows, then you know it's safe for you. So that's their plan. That night, Jonathan and Saul have this talk, and here's what it says in verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. This is actually a cuss word, and I tell you that just to show you how angry he was. Don't know you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you. So basically, he was saying to his son, I wish you'd never been born. I, I hate you. You make me sick. And then in verse 33, it says, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So the next morning, they go out to this, I guess, like a pasture, a field or whatever. Scripture tells us that David's hiding behind some rocks. Jonathan shoots the arrows. His servant goes to fetch him. And Jonathan says to the servant or yells at him, go further. Which is the code for, John, for David to leave. David can't bear the thought of leaving immediately without saying bye to Jonathan. Jonathan sends his servant back into town. David and Jonathan meet for the last time. Scripture tells us they kissed each other and wept together. The Bible adds that David wept the most. Why? Why did, why did David weep the most? Because he recognized what Jonathan had done. Jonathan had risked his life for him without complaint because that's what friends do. They were knit together. When you're knit together, when you have that kind of friendship, you support each other. You don't have to explain things to each other. You let that person vent. When they're upset, you don't quote them three verses and tell them to go straighten out. You're there for them. You don't try to fix them. 
But yeah, you're also the one that has permission to tell them the hard stuff when they need to hear the hard stuff. And then the last thing is this. A true friend encourages you. So here David is at this point. Your wanted posters are plastered everywhere. He's running. He's hiding. He's a fugitive. He's a bandit. He's a hunted animal. He flees to this desert called Negev. It's just this desolate place. He's frustrated. He's frightened. He's scared. He doesn't know when somebody's going to jump out from behind a rock because Saul's got all these hit men and wise guys hunting for him. That's where he's at. Saul's men apparently are pretty much close to surrounding him. And guess who shows up? The son of the guy that hired the hitman, Jonathan. We don't know how Jonathan got there. We don't know how he slipped through Saul's men. But somehow Jonathan gets there. And he shows up. And one of the marks of a true friend is that they are there when there's every reason for them not to be there. And we read in verse 16. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find, helped him find strength in God. Literally it translates, he strengthened his hand in God. That's the final quality of a biblical friendship. It's a friend who encourages you in God. It's the kind of friend that puts courage back into you. David is at his lowest, terrified, harassed moment. And Jonathan's like, I understand how you feel. But believe me, there's going to be better days. Someone has said that loneliness is the most desperate of all English words. Maybe that's why even Jesus had friends the night before the crucifixion, had friends with him. True friends show up during that time. When you're lonely, when things look terrible. This was the last time David ever saw Jonathan alive. We read later in Scripture that David and Saul were both killed fighting the Philistines at Mount Geboa. When this news is relayed to him, here's what David says. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Then he cried out, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You see, he had a friend that made him better. And I want to ask you again. Do you have friends that make you better? I'm not talking about somebody that says, yeah, I, have a, I, wore, I wear a cross. I'm a Christian. Show up for church once a year. No, I'm talking about real Christian friends. The kind of friends that will wake up in the middle of the night because God has put you on their mind. They will pray for you, and then they will call you the next morning and tell you that and ask if everything's okay. Do you have those kind of friends? Are you that kind of friend? Do you have those people that help you find spiritual strength? Do you have those kind of people that encourage you? People who are loyal? Because you could be one friend away from having your destiny changed. But also, don't rob yourself of being the blessing that could change somebody else's destiny. Can you give me permission to just be dramatic for a moment? Some of you, if you continue with the friends that you have, 
you will never realize what God intends for you. I know that's being blunt, but I'm putting it out there because it's true. God intends us to surround ourselves with people. That's why one of our, one of our uh, part of our mission statement here is engage. Engage with people who are fellow Christians, who encourage you, who strengthen you, who encourage you to give and to serve and to pour into one another, to exhort one another. Do you have those kind of people in your life, and are you like that for other people? I mean, you might just be a friend away from having the course of your life changed. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Sometimes I can look at people, and I can tell you, your future is new addictions that you don't have if you keep hanging out with those people. Some of you are headed for divorce if you keep hanging out with the people that you hang out with. Some of you are going to drop out of school if you continue with the same friends that you have. Some of you, I'm going to be really dramatic, are headed to jail if you keep hanging out with the people that you're hanging out with. Okay, that might be a little far. Pastor, you need to dial it back a little bit. Okay, most of you probably aren't headed to jail. But do you know what most of you, a lot of you, you are... If you hang out with the people that you hang out with, you are just going to keep having a lukewarm, half-hearted commitment to God because that's the people that you hang out with. And you're just going to keep on accumulating things that don't satisfy you. You're going to think a weekend football game or a three-day weekend is, is, is all that there is to life because that's the people that you hang out with. And that, they all think it's okay, so that must be all there is because of your friendship group. But changing a friend or changing some friends could change your life. You might be one friend away from having the marriage that you've always wanted. You might be one friend away from being the parent that's not just going to change your kids, but generations of children and grandchildren. You might be one friend away from being more generous than you've ever been. You might be one friend away from overcoming addictions that have plagued your family for years. You might be one friend away from somebody that encourages you to take care of your body so that you'll be able to to grow old and, and watch your grandkids grow up. You might be one friend away from tapping into the power of God and not just watch and be here, but actually use your gifts and participate in church as God intends for you to do. You might be one friend from waking up, as Joseph talked about several weeks back, being mission-minded and changing the world. And there are those of you who might be one friend away, and there might be people in your life that are one friend away from knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, a friend that sticks closer to a brother. A friend that will change your life forever. So I ask you this morning. Could you be one friend away from having your destiny changed? Would you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Father, we thank you for these stories. We thank you for the friendships of Barnabas and Paul and Jonathan and David. And Father, as we come to you today, 
Father, none of us are perfect. We're not saying that. None of us have this friendship thing mastered. But, Father, I pray for all of us that we would be a friend that could change the destiny of somebody's life. Father, I also ask that, folks, I know there are people here that probably, like I read earlier today, there's not a, not a single person they could put on that list last week. And, Father, I just pray that you bring people into their life that can change them their world but Father that's a two way street and I pray that they'll be the kind of friends that can change somebody else's destiny and I don't know where anybody is in this room today but I just pray as we have this time of commitment and this time of worship that uh, Father you just challenge each of us I pray all these things in Jesus name